If you would like to read along with me as I share our gospel lesson today, please look in your Bibles for chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. The words will be on the screens as well. Let us hear the word of God. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them or no room in the inn, as you might have heard. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. In case you might be new to us or new to the terminology of Advent, Advent is when Christians around the world prepare themselves for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's the four weeks preceding Christmas Day. The four Sundays are celebrated prior to Christmas. Advent is to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. It's a time when Christians focus on prayer and repentance and fasting and spiritual renewal, preparing ourselves for Christmas. We know that Christ has come, and we know that He said He will come again. And Advent reminds us that we live in the in-between time, that we dwell in the here and in the now, and that we are called to live like Jesus, to imitate Jesus as we await His second coming in glory. This Advent season, we are looking at the Christmas story in light of each of the four Gospels found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Luke and John. And if you've been here over the series, you'll remember that Dr. Tom Long, a renowned preaching professor and author, has compared the church's lectionary, the 
scriptures that we followed uh, during the liturgical year over a period of years. Uh, he refers to them as homes that the church visits, the house of Matthew, the house of Mark, Luke, and John, and so forth. And if you cannot road this Advent season, we put a twist on this concept, and we're calling it a, a Christmas light tour, where we're visiting each of the gospel houses, and we're seeing how each of them illuminates or enlightens us on the story of Christmas, how each gospel illuminates the gospel of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Quick recap. At week one, we visited Mark's house. We went there first because most scholars believe that Mark's gospel was the first one written down and that Matthew and Luke include Mark in their accounts. We imagine Mark's house as a plain, simple cottage, not much for decorations. He'd be like your minimalist neighbor, uh, maybe just one light in the window. In Mark, there's no Christmas story at all. There's no... Uh, genealogy. There are no angels uh, speaking. There's no uh, shepherds. Uh, there's no nativity. Uh, in, in Mark, it's plain and simple, and he begins his story announcing that Jesus had come with John the Baptist doing that announcing. Uh, he begins the, the gospel at Jesus' public ministry. He's baptized and experiences temptation, and then he begins his ministry performing miracles and healing people. And, and then Mark takes us to his death, crucifixion, and resurrection. And the resurrection light illumines the story. Mark's gospel reminds us that hope is to be found in the manger only because it is first found on the cross. Last Sunday, we visited Matthew's house. And we can imagine the traditional decorations uh, it might, have, might be a, a Victorian house like you see in uh, old Bonaire. A big family reunion with Jesus' entire clan there. Ancient grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles we've never heard of. And then eventually travelers from afar coming onto the scene. We would barely fit in Matthew's house for the crowd. Matthew's gospel anchors the birth of Jesus in the promise of Abraham in his being in the line of the son of David, that Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us. And we said that Matthew points to the fact that it's a redemption story for all people. And as we continue our light tour, next Sunday we'll travel to John's house, where we'll see how he, uh, like a theology professor, uh, discusses with us the multi-layered meanings of his gospel where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But today we arrive at Luke's house. And I think Luke's house would be like the, the place where all the kids in the neighborhood hung out. Do, do you remember that when you were growing up? Was, there, was it your house or was there another house where everybody hung out? Where maybe the snacks were better than at your place? Right? Uh, when I was living in, outside of Charleston as, as a kid, Charleston, South Carolina... It was Ed's house. We all hung out at Ed's house and had snacks there, uh, played football in the yard and wrestled, and then would come home and called for dinner. Uh, I envision Luke's house as, as the place where everybody hung out. I envision it as uh, a low country cottage with a front porch all the way across, 
uh, with railings, maybe some rockers, uh, sort of like you get at the Cracker Barrel, you know, all the rockers, and uh, garland strung on the uh, railings with lights, and the door would be open, and you can see the glow on the inside, and hear the uh, music. There, they would have uh, music, Christmas carols that were familiar being sung, and Christmas trees, Philip, like you wrote in your devotional for today in our Advent guide, Christmas trees perhaps in every room, right? And you, you, you can just join me in the uh, festive environment. The doors would be flung open and people from everywhere would be coming in to Luke's house. All would be there welcome at the table for the festive foods. And there's one thing we would see in Luke's yard that we might not, that we wouldn't see in the other gospel writers. Homes, a nativity scene. Had it not been for Luke's gospel, we wouldn't have the beauty of the nativity. He's the one who tells us that part of the Christmas story. We have an ornament on our tree that some friends, uh, friends of ours actually made. They do woodworking and make ornaments. And made this, this beautiful nativity ornament. We think of Sarah and Ron when we display it. And then there's one on our daughter Isabella's tree. It's an Advent nativity ornament. And at, at the bottom, it, it has a dial for each day leading up to Christmas Day. And every day, Isabella will turn the dial. And then it will share a reading about the Christmas story. There are nativities of all shapes and sizes and from all backgrounds. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph have ridden, have Joseph walking, Mary on the donkey, ridden some 85 miles, her side saddle, expecting a baby, nearly ready to give birth. And they arrive there in Bethlehem. And there's no room in the inn. I think Luke is careful to say that there's a definite article in front of inn. It's the inn. There weren't any more. And it was full. There were people probably sleeping on the floors. Every space was taken up. And, uh, but happily gave up the cave-like portion down below the, the inn where all the animals were, were housed. Uh, it would have been like a, a carved out of rock, like a walkout basement in some of your homes if you live on a hillside. And there all the animals from the guests would have been staying the night, and you would hear all of the sounds and all of the smells. Boys and girls, it would smell like poo because that's where the animals were. You can just picture it. right? God came to us as a baby in Jesus Christ and experienced the fullness of humanity. Baby Jesus would have been like any normal baby and cried and got uh, hungry and needed to be changed and all of those things. And that's what the nativity reminds us of. St. Francis of Assisi is accredited with the very first nativity scene. He was a monk who lived about 800 years ago in Italy, devoted his life to poverty and simplicity, and he was concerned that the feast of Christmas 
had become largely about gifts and parties. Sound familiar? He wanted Christians to remember that it was about the birth of Jesus, so he created the first nativity scene. He had gotten permission from the Pope, and his nativity had two animals, an ox and a donkey. And he would stand at the nativity scene in his uh, brown woolen cleric's cloak and preach about the true meaning of Christmas. And his actions have inspired countless Christians to display this simple scene through the centuries. I read a neat story about a church who did a live nativity. The church, Aaron, is out in the tech, not, uh, it's in near Dallas. I know you're not from that, but you're from Texas, so you appreciate this. Uh, I, I believe Huguenot Road has done a live nativity some years past. I understand that people would drive through the parking lot, and many of you took part in that nativity. So this big church in the suburbs of Dallas decided to have a live nativity. And they did it several nights approaching Christmas. The, the volunteers uh, built a shed and recruited people to play all the parts, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men who would come later, but they're still part of the story. And they borrowed some farm animals. But I guess being Texas, they had to go big with the animals. No goats and sheep and donkeys for this church. Instead of lowing cattle, they brought in a Texas longhorn steer for their nativity. Think Bevo, the mascot of the Texas longhorns, who, if you were watching the Cotton Bowl earlier this year, charged after Ugga, the Georgia Bulldog mascot, at this year's pregame ceremonies. Go online and watch Bevo charge Ugga. People are getting, thankfully nobody was injured, but it could have been really bad, right? So here's this church with Bevo in their nativity uh, scene, and there was a problem. Bevo escaped. Imagine the shepherds and Joseph and Mary running down with the police trying to catch this Texas longhorn steer. Finally, they roped him and brought him back to the scene. But it was the pastor who is credited for rescuing Bevo the second time at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> finally roping the steer down and bringing him back to the scene. I can imagine St. Francis standing there, hands on his hips, saying to the pastor, I told you so. Maybe you should stick to donkey and sheep next year. But were it not for Luke, we would not have the story of the manger. We would not have nativity scenes to display at Christmas. But there is even more that Luke brings to light in his version of the Christmas story. With each of the Gospels, we've been asking, what, or where does the good news begin? In Mark, it begins with John the Baptist announcing that Jesus was to come. With Matthew, it begins with the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, with Abram, Abraham, the, the promises God made to him. But what about Luke? Luke, he, he doesn't just tell us about the birth of Jesus, which you heard me read at the beginning. 
he spends an entire chapter, 80 verses, on what came before that. Luke tells the backstory to Jesus' ministry. The scholar N.T. Wright calls this the gospel before the gospel. It's the backstory. At Luke's house, we walk by the nativity onto the porch. We're welcomed into the house. We see the glow, the light. We hear the music. We enjoy the food. But then we go farther into the house, and the story gets deeper and deeper. The good news doesn't begin with the baby. It doesn't begin with John the Baptist. It begins with John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are very old. They could never have children. And back then, that was devastating. They were left out in the society. Uh, no matter how good things had been for them, they felt like they had no future. Who would take care of them? Who would mourn their deaths? Who would carry on their names? But one day, the angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah as he carried out, as Zechariah carried out his normal, everyday responsibilities at the temple. The angel told him that he and Elizabeth would long at last become parents. Just like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament would receive this miraculous news from God, uh, so would Zechariah and Elizabeth. God gave them the, vi the gift of a hopeful future. But after the angel spoke, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? Almost doubting the angel's word. I'm an old man and my wife is long in years. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. Which will come. They will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, Luke writes, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he finally came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Zechariah protested and asked the angel for a sign. Then after all of this, Luke shifts the story and contrasts what Zechariah's response was to that of the young Mary, a peasant girl from Nazareth. The angel Gabriel spoke to her. The angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, but wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Do not be afraid. You have found great favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne after his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And, and Mary says, how will this be? Not prove it, but how's this going to happen? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come unto you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God shall ever fail. And then Mary, simply with the 
eyes of faith and her arms open, I imagine. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Two contrasting faith stories. God at work through both. And Luke in all of this reminds us that those whom God chooses often have contrasting faith and belief. Zechariah protested and needed a sign, but Mary received the news with courageous grace. Zechariah is made speechless by the angel, nine months of silence, so he can really learn what is going on. Mary immediately sets out on a journey to be with her cousin Elizabeth and sings the most amazing song. But at the end, uh, uh, as you read, uh, both will sing. Zechariah is able to speak once again, and he and Mary both sing and record songs that have the same theme, that God will redeem God's people, God will save them from their enemies, and God will give them freedom to worship without fear. For Mary, Zechariah, and Luke, the gospel writer, all of this is the sign that God has not forgotten God's people and God's promises, uh, and God has not forgotten his promises. He's not forgotten his people and he's not forgotten the promises made long ago. God remembers those promises, in particular the ones made to Abraham and Sarah, that there will be a future, a future blessing for the whole human family. Is what was going on in the world where John and Jesus were born? Uh, could you see this? No. Is what Mary and Zechariah saw with their eyes uh, give a physical evidence to any of this? No again. Luke's account in the Christmas story is a faith story. At the end of the day, Zechariah had to have faith. Mary had faith. Elizabeth had faith. Joseph had faith. Luke points us to a faith story. Luke's account of the Christmas story guides us to see with the eyes of faith. At the, uh, uh, at the, the sound of the good news, when we hear the gospel, when we experience Christ's love, you and I are called to respond in faith. No one can force that or compel that. It is simply a response of faith. And Luke guides us to see with the eyes of faith to seek to walk in obedience by faith. Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Don't you remember that Thomas needed to see the proof of the scars in his hands? And then in that story, Jesus, after that encounter with Thomas, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And Luke also guides us to shape our lives according to this faith, to live by faith, not by sight. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes that, that we're to live by faith, not by sight. So sisters and brothers, today, as we have experienced the gospel light, according to Luke, we're reminded it's a faith story. And you and I have a choice to receive it. It's our decision to make. And I pray that if, if you're here and you haven't made a decision to 
follow Jesus Christ by faith. Would you do that today? What better of a time than, than now? God has not forgotten us. Despite all the signs that are around us, God has not forgotten us. He has not forgotten His world. God has not abandoned the most broken and needy people. And He has called us through our faith journey to reach people to the ends of the earth who need the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This birth of Jesus is as the angels sang, good news of great joy for all the people. May it be so. As we live by faith, not by sight. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for this faith story that just as Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah walked by faith and many before them like Abraham and Sarah walked by faith. We too are called to walk by faith. Lord, would you speak deeply to our hearts today and help us to place our faith and trust in you. No matter what we're going through, that you are with us, that you love us, that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us. And as we respond to you today, Lord, pray that you would allow each one of us to have a divine appointment with you. And whether we respond publicly or privately to whatever it is that you're saying to us, that you would have your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.